Designed from the ground up, the Diderio Backline Gear Transport Pack is the ultimate solution for players on the move. With more than eight specialized storage and transport compartments built right in, it makes getting everything to the gig painless and intuitive. proud with Nick Lee of Moontooth. Nick, how you doing? Good, Chris. Thanks, man. How are you? Real good, man. Uh, if you're familiar with Moontooth, you probably caught a little bit of all at all angles there. Nick, I know that you've been a longtime Vigier user, also a descendant from the Les Paul, clearly with the style of the guitar is there. Talk to me about how this became your number one and how you got lined up with the French Guitar Company. Uh, yeah, so I grew up playing uh, Les Paul Standard. That was like my first real deal guitar I was gigging on. And um, I can get into that one maybe after the Vigiers, but I still have that. It's like a studio guitar, but I retired it from the stage because it just was getting very beat up uh, over the years. And uh, was in between guitars for a little while, and my friend DJ Scully, uh, who is the U.S. artist rep for Vigier, he was my friend, Moontooth's longtime friend. We were playing with his band Dead Empires a lot, and he w went on to be in uh, The Number 12 Looks Like You, and we've toured with them. We just old friends and he you know he was working through for Vigier who I was only very vaguely familiar with because of him and uh, you know he was like let me let you borrow one and if you like it you know I'll see what I can do um, and so that was uh, this other black one I'll show you in a sec that was the first it was sort of a loner and then I think after a year or two of touring with me that it became mine you know because nobody wants it anymore because <laughs> it's kind of beat up yeah but um I mean, that's not true, but not that no one wants it anymore, but whatever. I still have it. It's a loner. Um, but anyway, yeah, um, yeah I, I just love them. Like, uh, as, apart from just playing great, I mean, it's got everything I, I love about the Les Paul. It's got the weight, um, the style, you know, the body style, the two humbuckers. Um, but, the you know, the Vigier, the, the biggest talking point, I feel like, is the, the no truss rod. So you have... Uh, they call it the 90-10 split. It's 90% uh, maple neck. This one has a rosewood fingerboard, but 90% maple neck, 10% carbon fiber. So there's no truss rod. There's no adjusting on the road. Um, as soon as I set my uh, intonation on these saddles here, like I'm, I'm good to go for many tours, you know. And as, you know, even if I'm changing, you know, sometimes like in addition to Moontooth, I also play in uh, the band Riot, and so. Moving from standard tuning, you know, slight adjustment of intonation, good to go. Like, I never have to worry about the neck getting out of whack, you know, on the road. Going from, like, the trailer in Austin in July to an air-conditioned venue, it's like, I'm good to go. You know, I've, I've put it under airplanes without detuning it and stuff like that when I've had to. And um, still in tune when I get to It's freezing cold, but still totally in tune. Um, so I'm definitely pretty pragmatic with my choices and touring and stuff. It's like, what's going to take the abuse and still sound great and still stay in tune. And, you know, the Vigiers are beyond capable of that. And they also take a beating really well um, because I'm a little rough on guitars, you know, and myself. <laughs> and, 
you know, they get the best of the best shows and the worst of the worst shows <laughs> at times. So, uh, you know, they're luckily like, I can't, I can't break these. And that's great. And, you know, they're just like beautiful, beautiful guitars. They play so well, uh, on all the little details, like, um, Teflon nut that, uh, pops in and out. It's got like a little, a little like uh, male and female piece. So you just pop it out, pop a new one in when they get shitty. Or if you're going to um, bigger, like a, a larger string size or smaller string size, they make them so it's mm. just perfectly tight. And, you know, I think at one point this one took a spill and had a little dent in the, uh, tr uh, the nut. And I just, you know, pop it in, push a new one in, and I'm done. It's not like no gluing and setting and any of that stuff, stuff that I would not trust myself to do. Um, other than that, I mean, so the, I, I should probably talk about the colors. Um, this is, uh, part of the rock art series that they did, which, uh, you know, it's like a dip and, um, the, okay. our first full length record is called Chroma Paragon. It's got like this kind of wild wolf head thing on it. And, uh, I think it was DJ's idea to ask Patrice Vigier, who's the master builder. He is, you know, Vigier guitars, um, uh, you know, he said, what if we took the colors from that record and did a rock art GV for you? Because I was still using the loner. Um, and this was going to be my first sort of Nick Lee guitar or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's, it was essentially, you know, the GV rock, but with the rock art. And it's funny because if you look at that cover, it, the yellow is the least amount of color that is on yeah. it. But it just happened. To, this is what I got, you know, and it's super cool. I mean, if you the neck is especially came out amazing. You know, so they basically just, you know, you have a, some sort of vat of these colors. They dip the body and they dip the neck and it's just how it comes out. It um, kind of reminds me of like the Steve Vai does, does, has done that with like his uh, gem stuff and of the Ibanez. Yeah, totally. And uh, I would never have guessed that I was going to play a really colorful guitar. Um, but <laughs> it just I couldn't say no to that opportunity to have like the album cover colors as a guitar. Uh, this this area got like kind of you can see this got really beat up it's kind of chipped but um it it kind of was the paint was getting kind of ruined and i actually have my buddy um paul motisi who did the album cover to crux he found these colors and just made it even trippier you know um which i was really really stoked on uh and then uh so on the album crux that we did we worked with mark morton uh of lamb of god and machine they did like they kind of tag team the pre-production with us and uh Mm -hmm. talking to Mark about guitars and they, they brought up his um, DiMarzio Dominions at some point. The machine had said like, yeah, that's like one of the best pickups I've ever heard. And mm -hmm. he asked me, he's like, will you use two if I give them to you? And, you know, I was like, yeah, I will for sure. And so I put those <laughs> in, uh, in this one, which I'll show you in a sec, but uh, they came in yellow. So that also worked out really well for this guitar. And these sound, these are the, yeah, so these are the Mark Morton Dominions. Um, I've since started working officially with uh, DiMarzio, and they've been very accommodating and cool to me uh, as far as just giving me what I need and just little details on things of, like, just helping me out. But, um, yeah, so these are the Mark Morton Dominions, and uh, they just have, like, all the clarity I want, but all the bite I want, plenty of, like, nice mids. It's not, like, I like um, high-output passive pickups you know that's always just what i liked uh and yeah i mean they just like they sound amazing it just gets everything i really want out of um cleans and dirty sounds and neck pickup has that great kind of wooly les paul ish sound but it's got its own thing too cool uh, well before we kind of get di dive into more sounds of this 
I'm curious about what you use for strings and then different tunings because I know like specifically you brought up the, the, uh, that first record. Chroma, the song, had like a really unusual tuning if I can remember right. Yeah, if so I can remember what that tuning is. walk through the different tunings you use and then uh, the strings you use. Yeah, so uh, this guitar does most of the, basically all of our stuff starts at D standard. Um, you know, growing up, every, a lot of the stuff we wrote was in like drop C. And then over time, getting kind of, we still have some drop C songs, but just kind of getting bored of kind of, a lot of those songs end up in the same key. And so eventually mm -hmm. we just came up to D standard and then there was a lot of new ideas that came out of that. But anyway, so most of the songs start in D standard and get manipulated from there. Okay. Um, I, for the D standard stuff, I use 11 through 56, um, with, uh, Ernie Balls, um, which I do like um, a custom set. I, they have 11 through 54, I think is their beefy slinkies, but that G string was a little too big and then the E string was a little too small. So I do 11, 14, 20, plain, 32, 44, and 56 on this guitar. Okay. And then the okay. drop A stuff, I just, I just moved the 56 up to a 60. So it's, okay. it's D standard with a drop A, you know. Um, and so that one's a 60. And yeah, everything's 56. So D standard, drop C. Uh, there's a song called Through Ash where I move the B string down a half step and the high E string down a full step. And it ends, it ends up giving you almost like a half open, I mean, technically F because I'm dropped, but I just think of it as G minor. You know, if I play a G like this on the bottom and then the top of the guitar, it just sounds like a minor chord. Um, and so, and that just, some of those things just come out of... Um, just like I have a cool riff and it's in this key and then I get to the verse and I have an idea but it's like impossible in the tuning so I'll just move the string and then you have a few more tunings to deal with. Um, there's a, the Chroma song so Ray our drummer is also a killer guitar player and, and writer uh, and so he put a couple songs in open C major uh, C G C E G C. Uh, which was kind of like Allman Brothers tuning. Uh, we love that mm. song Little Martha and that's kind of where that tuning originally came from so that if you hear songs like igneous or offered blood those are open c major and then uh he wrote a tuning uh the song was called fac gack forever because it was f-a-c-g-a-c -A all sharp with like a low f sharp on the bottom um people are always like why don't you ever play that song it's like well that's kind of why is they have to bring one guitar in fac gack and we'll get there eventually <laughs> but yeah it's it also just keeping the f sharp on the bottom it uh, tamed is a pain in the ass but it sounds really cool you know whatever that ends up being, like a nine chord or something. It's just really, you know, we, we love, especially Ray, like kind of writes more from um, just being inspired by a tuning or a pedal and stuff. And, you know, I've maybe approached it a little bit more from the music theory end of things at times, but, you know, changing one string always just comes out. You get new voicings of chords and whatever, you know. Um, but yeah, and then uh, drop A and drop G to the D standard. And actually, uh, a few of these guitars for the new album, I have standard drop B. So okay. more tunings, Man, more problems that's... to deal with. <laughs> more tunings, more problems. Yeah. Just like Notorious B.I.G. said. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but before we move on to anything else, I'm curious how it feels to have, you're the main guitar player in the band, you know, on stage, you're the only guy playing guitar. But how does that feel having Ray as a second guitarist and you said he's, you know, up to par on your level as a writer and player. So that's almost like having a, a second guitarist in a one guitar band. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, 
it's just especially important in the writing and pre-production state. I mean, Ray also engineers all our records. Uh, so this, thus far, he's mixed and mastered everything you've ever heard. And we've recorded it. I'm at his and uh, his partner, Anthony, who you met earlier. This is their studio in Farmingdale, New York, uh, Westfall Recording Company. Everything up until this point, we've recorded here. So he has, he has the wizard brain, you know, for, for most things musical uh, and engineering-wise. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's... It's really just like, you know, he'll just kind of have, you know, basically how we write is it's like I have some riffs and Ray has some riffs. And then we at this point, it's like eventually they get to John and, you know, when John will be really inspired, he'll write vocals and melodies. And that kind of is what pushes a song along. Um, so mm. it's always like kind of a collaboration. But, you know, so like when Ray writes stuff, it's often like, OK, I learn it and then I'll kind of um, I'll either add or um you know if it's missing a bridge maybe i'll add a bridge or if you know um like uh, musketeers is a song on crux like that was all ray but i just added the melody part on the chorus so it's like it's it's awesome you know it's like because if i was the only if i was the only one writing the the riff material you know i feel mm. like you you would you would be losing like some key moon tooth songs you know like igneous and musketeers those are ray you know it's like um, but we've been playing together since we were 13, you know, I'm, I'm 31 now, you know, it's like, we, we basically really answer each other's sentences musically, you know, so it's like, we almost write you got, you, to each other's strengths. Yeah, you guys are like speaking the same language at this point. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, you had mentioned the Dominions, I'd, I'd love to hear kind of different pickup selections that you, uh, how you use it. I'm sure most of the time you're in the bridge, but like you said, you do use the neck pickup too. So walk us through that kind of different sounds. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Like, um, the, I, all at all angles, the song I was just playing, that's actually a neck pickup song, but mostly I'm on the bridge. kind of here is a lot of bite on the bridge um, yeah uh, but still like a clarity you know like we have some really busy riffs um, and they always like all the notes cut through which is really what I'm mainly looking for <laughs> Um, and then yeah, neck pickup gets used for leads a lot. Now, what about like a song Rhythm and Roar? Is that a different guitar setup or is that, that sounds to me like a neck pickup, that main riff yeah. on Rhythm yeah, and Roar. Yeah, good ear, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's definitely neck pickup on this guitar. Uh. Um, I don't know how obvious it is when you listen to Moontooth, but it's like, 
the we get like the prog metal thing, but me and Ray like loved Sludge and and Doom and Stoner Rock for you know like still yeah. do and and so that kind of um, that's I don't know like Ray is the technical wizard. So if I say a word like a guitar needs to be more like peanut buttery. He knows exactly what to do, and that—that's what that sound is—is is that really thick, woolly, like neck pickup sound. I mean, it's because you had said that in an interview with Premier Guitar, and I think you've graduated through that with Crux, but didn't you guys used to always say, describe your sound as aggressive-progressive or progressive-aggressive? Aggressive-progressive was, uh, yeah. yeah, that was the term um, for <laughs> that record, Chroma Paragon, which is, I think, when I yeah I did the, the interview with Premier. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's like, it's such a cop-out, but just we kind of just want to be the rock and roll band, you know? I mean, it was always kind of like that. I mean, most of what we love is classic rock and, and you know, seventies, eighties metal and, uh, not Just necessarily the newer. I mean, we love everything, but it's, it's more like of that school of that train of thought. And, and a, a big part of what I, I think I try to do as a guitar player, especially the one guitar player in the band is bridge the, the old school with what sounds chunky and modern and, and heavy and kind of take like, you know, Iomi and Jimmy Page and, Hetfield and Dime and then, you know, like every, all those things and try to find a place where they all work, you know, not to mention all the clean like guitar Dimebag stuff. Dimebag meets uh, Steve Howe, like with Yes, yeah. and then you got, yeah, like you said, I know that you're, you guys are big fans and you collaborate, not collaborate, but friends with like Macedon, so that comes in there too, like that kind of heavy sludge stuff. Oh yeah, Macedon was a really big one, um, and because like, and they kind of did that thing, you know, it was like sludgy-ish, doom-ish stuff, but there was really thrashy stuff. And then there was all that that finger picked clean stuff that was just really inspiring to me because I was just starting to get into like Chet Atkins and, and things like that that were like totally opposite side of the spectrum. And then here's Brent Hines like playing chicken picking bluegrass licks in this brutal metal song. So it was like it really kind of Leviathan that record totally like opened my mind to how far you could go with like extreme metal. I wouldn't you know I'm sure people would say we're extreme metal, but trying to take the elements of that that we love the most. Um, and keep that, you know, we have a we have a great singer, so I like we we love writing like songs with hooks and good vocals and stuff. But it's like keeping the the brutal stuff brutal, I guess. Is you know, yeah. keeping all of that now, in, you know under the under the hood, so to speak. Now with the finger picking stuff, is that like your attempt at that uh, the title track, Crux? Because that 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 song has a lot of clean picking. Uh yeah, that's um that one is uh, A on the bottom and then. C on top, so there's a bit of a weird tuning there. Uh, Motionless in Sky is another one. Like I can give you some, some finger pick stuff. Let's see here. Uh, motionless in sky off of crux that's that song is the first song with no pick actually that's <laughs> a, at the end is a pick but uh through ash also no pick um i did a little classical guitar with my my teacher growing up and then a little bit in college so i got a little bit of the right hand working and then 
yeah, getting into things like Macedon and then bluegrass and country and stuff kept me doing that. Now, I will ask this, but I won't have you answer it because I'm already curious how you manage volume disparities because, you know, your loud, heavy, crunchy sound is going to be way louder. So we'll, I'm curious how that involves. But before we get there in the pedals stuff, Nick, will you want to grab uh, another guitar, maybe the other Vigier, and, and talk to us about that and show us what you do with that? Um, uh, so, yeah, this this is the uh, the first Vigier they gave me, which is also a GV Rock, um, also a Dominion, uh, DiMarzio Dominion pickups in it. Um, Oh, I forgot to mention that uh, I put uh, the newest video I have as these like locking input jacks, which is fun. Oh, I, right. not, you know, I don't have too much problems with pulling cables out live, but even just like sitting on the couch teaching a lesson or recording, you just move the wrong way and you're pulling your cable out. Like this is great. Mm -hmm. You need to push down to pull the cable out. Uh, little ingenuity, things like that. Also, the um, looks like this one fell off, but the other one has a little. Um, a fuzzy like strip for dampening behind the the nuts you get rid of some of that noise so um i forgot to mention on the other vigier i've, I've always um strung my strings over the tailpiece because i love that extra noise and also like bending notes behind there um, yeah you did that in the intro yeah so that's like the telly trick you know you do the third and then you bend it back here but I, I can't do that on these guitars, but it works fine as long as these are strung the right way. As we were recording, I, I, I experimented with putting them back standard stringing just to see if it helped with intonation. Um, it definitely affects the tension of the strings, but I don't, it's nothing too drastic. I, I kind of just learned it from, uh, you know, Zach Wilde in Guitar Magazine is talking about you break less strings on your saddles if you string them this way. Um, uh, and he was also. I know Joe Bonamassa does that too. Yeah, I, I, it's just been the move ever since. But, um, this is my, my newest Vigier. This is, um, this is an Excalibur Ultra Blues. Um, this is my first ever like Strat style guitar. So uh, when they told me that you know, I could put you know, an order or something new in for the, you know, the new record cycle, I really wanted to try a Strat. You know, I didn't like, grow up into Strats, but the more I played, the more chances I get to pick one up here and there. I was just like, I like uh, the way that they kind of make you work for it a little harder. You know, the more you dig in, like like the way Stevie Ray Vaughan plays or something, it's like the harder you hit it, it's like the more you get out of the guitar. Um, but yeah, first ever kind of Strat style, first ever humbucker single single, first like trim bridge I've ever really. Uh, my first ever guitar was a BC Rich Mockingbird with a with a Floyd Rose, which was a terrible guitar to have at like 10, 11 years old because <laughs> it was just like so confusing to me, and I wanted to tune to like drop B. Uh, but yeah, I love. Now, what know, are the pickups in this one, Nick? Oh yeah, so. Uh, the bridge is a vintage PAF or virtual PAF, sorry, DiMarzio. And then this is a vintage DP 415, I think it's called this. These two were stock for the guitar. Um, the only one I changed was the neck. I put a DiMarzio chopper in there, which they recommended, um, just because I, I was missing like just a fat, aggressive neck pickup sound for leads. Okay. Uh, and actually that was like one of the coolest things DiMarzio did for me is like, these routes on this guitar are really tight. And so any mm -hmm. kind of, um, what are they called, the flange or whatever around the pickup, the trim around it, was not going to happen unless I rerouted the guitar. And I really didn't want to do that because I didn't really want to cut this guitar. It's like the most beautiful guitar I've ever owned. Um, <laughs> and I tried it with a few companies, and they were just kind of like, yeah, just just reroute your guitar. But then DiMarzio was like, no, nah, you got it. No, no, no flange or whatever it's called. And just put it in the mail like next day. And I, I love it. This is a really, really cool pickup. Um, very fucking, it just gets the neck pickup lead stuff done really well. 
Um, but yeah, so this is uh, the Drop A guitar. Uh, I use this now, for... is that a different scale length than the other, like the GV stuff? So is that like the longer Fender style scale length? Yeah, so th that's this is 20. The other one is 24.8. This one's 25.6. I think I'm okay. getting that right. Um, so yeah, that's part of the reason I did the uh, the Drop A and G stuff on this guitar for tour. Um, I may I may change that. I, I'd, I'd like to kind of play around with which guitar sounds best for which tuning. But just as far as practicality of like trying to get that low note going, it, it just seemed to make sense to play on this guitar. And it, it sounds sick. I use it on Trust, uh, Crux, um, Omega Days. So it, gets a, it, it was getting a pretty pretty good chunk of the set towards the end of uh, we... touring. <laughs> let's see what it has to say. Yeah. Uh, let's go with this guy. sounds heavy and thick but it's also yeah. like you said it's still articulate it's still you can hear the notes when you're playing those last chords yeah so, i mean uh i it's i don't know definitely the most beautiful guitar i've ever ever owned you know it, it makes me want to practice more because i feel like i need to earn owning a guitar this nice you know but it's all maple <laughs> uh the neck is dyed maple um and yeah i'm just like pretty obsessed with it to be honest but uh I also was using this in standard tuning uh, with Riot for the last few Riot tours I was doing, um, and it was awesome to have in standard tuning. I'm not like much of a um, dive bomb kind of trick guy, but just like they had a lot of stuff in sets that would just be kind of... Yeah, like the, the toilet flushes in between songs. I could just fuck around with the... This is so much fun to have, you know? Uh, and actually, this this next record that we're we just finished guitars and I mean it this time, uh, is this, this guitar is all over it. So this, that'll be the first record that people actually like hear it recorded for real. And I got a couple of whammy bar moves on there. So that's like, a, that's a new thing for Moontooth. Well, cool, man. Uh, do you want to move on to another guitar? Uh, yeah, let's get through the other ones. So those are my three Vigiers. Um, I'm trying to think if I, another cool thing is this, these string trees are really, really nice and really, it's just like the, it almost looks like the end of a string. Um, Five-way selector. Just trying to make sure I touch all the bases here, but I think I did. Beautiful fucking guitar. Um, now you grab the next one, Nick. I'm curious when you mentioned before about the, the GVs, you said that the weight was good. Now, were you looking for, they look like a thinner, less pulse, so were they light? Because you guys on stage is like a full contact sport. Yeah, I mean, it's, 
like here's my standard and here's my 90 standard and here's the Vigier. Like, it's definitely thinner, but the weight difference in this one is not that different. I don't know exactly. Okay. This is a heavy guitar, and it, that's I do like want the guitar to be heavy. I feel like lighter, okay. lighter guitars, I don't know, tend to get hurt more. This one's a little lighter, um, but comparable. So yeah, I don't. Okay. This is um, this is my uh, Les Paul standard that I pretty much cut my teeth on. Um, I think I got it when I was like 13. Uh, it's a 1990, so it's like basically the same age as me, which I just thought was kind of funny. I was born in 89, so I was like, this guitar, I feel like it's just a part of who I am. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't even have a strap for it. I'll, I'll plug it in really quick. I don't know where this is. Yeah, what are the pickups on there? I'm, I, they look like they're, uh, you know, aftermarket, something you did. Well, this the neck, it. neck pickup is stock. Um, okay. the, the, the bridge pickup, uh, it just went bad. I don't even remember. It was a very long time ago, but... It just started to like, it lost all its bass and just sounded like shit. And uh, I dropped a Duncan Custom in there. And that's been there for 15 years or something. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, just, um, this is actually all over the new record too. I mean, I still just love playing solos on it. It feels very much like the guitar I learned how to play guitar on, you know? Like it feels, <laughs> yeah. it feels like, like me a little bit. You want to hear a little bit? Yeah, let's give a taste test. Do a little yoga move so I can balance here. But here's the bridge. I forgot it's in. Uh, this is in the uh, standard drop B for the new record. Um, Kind of like end up, I uh, teach guitar, so I end up writing a lot of songs in standard. Um, but we've played in drop tuning for so long that it always just ends up moving lower, just almost out of convenience. And sometimes it's, mm. a lot of times it sounds heavier when you move it lower. But I was kind of just, I wanted to get some new keys that we haven't played in on the record. And uh, I don't know, sometimes when it gets dropped lower, it gets a little darker and a little muddier, a little sludgier. And some of the songs I wrote, I really wanted to be snappier and um more aggressive, almost the guitar to kind of sit more up here and, and not be doing the, the low doom thing, but real bitey. And I don't know, it was just fun to have a new tuning. So this is in that. And then, uh, any more questions on this So what, how would you describe that real quick? Uh, you know, you had the peanut butter sound before, so how would you describe like the top layer? Um, like, like <laughs> what type of food? I don't know. It's, no, I, I don't know. It's just like, um, I started to kind of just appreciate, I think from playing with Raya and playing in standard tuning, two guitars, and kind of just learning, um, you know, like, and we're playing Marshall JC 800s I have one of those here now. Uh, you know, it's like the guitar is occupying a very specific space, you know, and and, mm. and sometimes those amps would sound really kind of midi and uh, like way too like harsh mids and stuff. But once the band was like locked into a riff, it would just fill everything perfectly. And I kind of just like was having more fun, like keeping the guitar in its normal sort of space of uh, frequency range or whatever. And, but I still mm. had the B on there, so it's still low and chunky, but um, I don't know, just, it's, a little, it's just tighter, snappier. It's, the guitars were easier to play a little bit. Um, maybe the opposite of peanut butter, it would be like, I don't know, what's another good word we use? Bitey and just snarly. I don't know. Yeah. T tons of I don't use a whole lot of like actual technical terms. Uh, I have right for that. Uh, and then la last up for guitars, um, this was the after the Les Paul. This was my first kind of um, 
whatever, not metal guitar. This is an Aerodyne Telecaster from, I think, 2005 or something like that. Um, I just was like, I didn't really know what I was buying. I just like knew I wanted something different, and I just thought this mm -hmm. guitar looked cool. It's got the P90 in the neck, which is like an interesting change on a Tele. Um, but this this single, I don't actually know what this, it's both stock. I don't even know what this single coil is, but it uh, is very mean sounding with the drop B tuning. Um, I'll throw it in for a sec. Yeah. But uh, I don't know, I've maybe only gigged with this a couple times, but I use it, you know, to teach mostly, but I, I write a lot on it. It's really light and plays, it's just so thin and just, I don't know. I really love tellies in general, but uh, this is a workhorse, this guitar. Um, what have I got going on here? Like the standard drop B just is like, um, it's a little just meaner for some reason. The mm. A is, is lower, but it's kind of just, it sounds like fat guy riffs, you know? And this is more like <laughs> like angry skinny guy riffs, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited for people to hear those, those two new songs on the record. They're definitely like a bit of a um, departure. Or not, not departure, but like we took a little bit of a risk, like change the tuning and try something a little different. So... We'll see. It's I, a continual evolution of Moontooth. It's it's not one thing or the other. It's just you guys growing. Yeah, for sure. And like depending on the set, you know, I kind of just put these guitars here because we were uh, recording with them anyway. But um, I don't know. Like I, this will probably stay, you know, D standard. I don't say drop A. But as far as which guitar will do that tuning, I, I still got to kind of experiment and practice and, and figure out exactly uh, which one works the best with the, the rig. I kind of dial the rig into the uh, GV Rock, the colorful one uh, that I played first. And that, that one, if I dial it into that one, everything else seems to to work well with it. But so, yeah, which guitar will come out with me? I, I'm not exactly sure. But Cool. All right, Nick, uh, I see a Marshall and High Watt. I've known that you've been a High Watt guy for a long time, but I used to know that you had a 5150. So what's the change here with the Marshall? Um, so the Marshall, uh, I'm still using the High Watt. That's the primary uh, Moontooth head and has been for a long time. Um, this JCM 800, me and Ray, uh, split custody of, and it, it's basically, uh, it gets, we, we use it all over the new record. Um, we bought it from Mike Flint's from Riot actually. Uh, and he, it's like, I haven't exactly figured out whether I want to do, I wanted to try to do a stereo, like run both heads, have a cab on either side of the stage. Um, but as soon as we got this head, COVID basically happened and we, you know, that we didn't get a, get a chance to try it. So uh, now that the record's done and we're going to get back in rehearsals, I'm going to experiment with seeing if, how that works. I, I did one day of blending them and it's, they're different animals, but you know, they're both just so sick. They work great together. Um, so we did use this combination on the record a bunch, um, especially on leads. The JCM 800 sounds awesome on leads, but yeah, this is a, um, actually I get to correct something because on that premier guitar interview, I called this a 74. It's actually 76. My friend <laughs> was making fun of me for a while for messing that up. Um, but yeah, this is a 76, uh, DR103 and, um, it's, uh, yeah, basically early days of Moontooth. I had a, like a JCM 2000 and it was breaking on me all the time. And then I, I needed to borrow a head at a gig and my friend Paul from this band Black Blizzard was like, you should use my high watt. And I'd never used one before. Um, and at the time I was still just using like the orange channel on the Marshall or even maybe the green even, uh, with this 
take a quick second to just, I don't have it on my board at the very moment, but the Fuzzrocious Demon, um, which is now the Demon King. At the time it was OC Demon, I think. Uh, but I was just like amazed by how well it took all my effects and just how, how much it filled a room in a way I'd never done with my guitar before. It was like immediately like I could feel it like bouncing off the back wall and hitting me and like, uh, I think my band was a little frustrated with it for a little while, but, um, so yeah, this thing has had a bit of a journey since then. Um, how so? Well, it's. I think if you saw Moontooth in the early days when I first got this head, you probably only heard this head <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> and nobody else. But um, so like, you know, taming, getting the uh, master volume where I need it to kick the power section on and also, you know, having a very dynamic band and a very dynamic singer who needs to be heard, you know, for the full effect of the show. Like that was always a tricky thing. Um, and for a little while, I kept, uh, we were on tour with Intronaut, and I kept blowing fuses on it, uh, and I couldn't figure out why, and I ended up getting it, um, bringing it down to just two tubes and 50 watts, and it stopped doing that. I also had, uh, there's a guy, Jack Kavalowitz, who makes uh, rock and roll amps, they're called, on Long Island, but he's also my uh, amp tech, and he, he did a mod for the, like a, for the bias, so it, um, I don't know, whatever, just so it runs a little less hot and stopped burning fuses out and stuff. But uh, yeah, bringing it down to 50 watts helped. I got more breakup at a lower volume. Um, and then since even though, even still though, like 50 watts was too much. And uh, you know, the, I think that thinking when you're younger is like the bigger the venue, the more you're going to get to crank it up, right? But then you learn it's like, no, you want to be controlled by the PA. So mm -hmm. uh, our last tour, uh, one of our last tours before COVID, we were out with Animals as Leaders and I was having a really hard time playing some of these bigger kind of theater spaces and getting the power section where I wanted it. And so uh, I knew I needed an attenuator eventually. Um, well, actually, before I even get into that, so I run the high watt with the channels jumped, and I, um, the, the normal volume and the brilliant volume is a big part of how I'll EQ more low-end chunk or more the brilliant has more of the top end. And that's kind of where... Um, that meet like where it meets the distortion on my pedal board is where you know where what i'm looking for you know where to like kind of tweak things just a little bit for a room if it's like a darker room or bassier stage or whatever like the normal and brilliant volume is pretty much i, I really like the master at about 10 or 11 o'clock which until okay. i got this attenuator was almost impossible at most shows you know <laughs> sound guys would look at me like are you serious right now like what are you doing um <laughs> And I, they'd be like, can you come down more? I'm like, a little bit. No, come down more. It's like, no, sorry. <laughs> I just can't. I just can't, dude. No, I mean, I, I would. But, you know, there would be a certain point where I would, I know that the master, you know, I would just lose the, the balls of the amp. Like, I would just feel, now I'm listening to it out of a monitor that sounds really thin, and it would just screw up the show. So it was always like a kind of a weird balancing act of everything. But, um. Yeah, so that's the high watt. That you'll maybe when we get back on the road, people will hear this JCM800, but uh, we'll see. It might just end up being a backup to this for now. But I'm hoping to like do the stereo mix because we got some really awesome results on the record blending those two those two heads. Now, um, what is the attenuator on top there? Because I can't really make it out in a Zoom call. So this is a Fryette Power Station Two. Okay. Um, I met uh, Neil Osberg at Nam. Uh, and I punished him about Sound City amps and and because I knew Mutoid Man guys and they all played Sound Cities and 
I wanted to punish him about those. And he was like talking to me about these other things and um, the valvulator I tried, which was really interesting and cool. But this was the thing that I was like, read all these good reviews. And I also like, I have my uncle and, and Mike from Riot are like close to me and they, you know, they're, they're like total gearheads. And I had tried like a, a few other attenuators and I could feel the kind of um, the tone suck of it a little bit. But uh, they all swore that this thing was like the shit. And uh, it really is. It's um, I can run it on, I'll, I guess I'll jam a little bit, but uh, this is like basically the secret weapon right now because I can push this high watt as hard as I want. And I have like a new volume. It's also got a presence and depth knob, which I'll tweak a little bit. Um, so now mm -hmm. I got like an EQ here. I have the presence and depth on this. And then I have um, the Friedman BOD. So I got an EQ on there. So a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of just tiny pushes of mids and bass until it just sounds right for the room, for the stage. Um, but yeah, this is like a totally like exciting thing. I mean, you can do a DI out. I can use it as a, an effects loop. It's uh, it's all, all tubes. There's two KT88s in there. So it's all tube um, uh, attenuator. Um, lots of bells and whistles that I probably will maybe never get to. But, you know, new it's like a cool, like the most important volume knob I've ever bought, basically. But it, it says <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't affect the high watt sound at all. If anything, it makes it sound better. Like we even use it in the studio just because it adds like almost this cool little bit of extra saturation and, and presence to the the high watt sound um so yeah love that thing that's i'm really stoked that uh that worked out before we have you go ahead and start ripping and talk about your pedals what is the cab there is that still the crank 412 or is that a different cab yeah that's um uh crank revolution cab um so ray bought this cab i think you know this is another joint custody item here like if something goes wrong we like we'll split the money to because he uses it at the <laughs> studio at westfall um he uses it to record um but yeah, it's a Crank Revolution cab. A funny story with this cab is we bought it, or he bought it from Tim Howley, who plays in Fit for an Autopsy now. And uh, years ago when he was playing an event called The World We Knew, uh, and they bought it from Amur. And when it was belonged to The World We Knew, it, their trailer got hit by a tractor trailer and oh, wow. exploded on the highway. And this thing survived it somehow. And so some of that damage is from that. Some of it's from me climbing on it for years. Um, Paul Motisi again, who painted this and also did our album cover, helped me get this. Uh, this is the symbol from our album Crux that we came up with. This is the conceptual representation of the message of that record. Uh, mm -hmm. and he put that on this big metal grate on here. Um, Ray had swapped two of the speakers are the stock Eminence speakers that came in the Revolution cabs, and two of them are Eminence Wizards that he swapped out just to put something okay. different in there. So I, uh, live, I would try to get you know we've tore. If we're using house sound guy, uh, I'll ask if they don't mind, but, or if we have our own guy, I have them mic both cab, uh, speakers in there so that they can do a little extra blending and just try to get the bigger sound out of the PA. But uh, I think mostly we go for the wizards when, when it's just one cab or nothing. Cool, man. And so now this is uh, pedal board time. I think the best part, and we can start with your amp, we'll get your clean amp sound. So no pedals through it. So we can kind of see where you're sitting with the high watt. But, uh, you know, like songs like Thumbspike or Igneous, they are like a masterclass in dynamics. And so I'm curious how you not only match the volumes, but I, I assume you have your pedals or do you have a switcher that enables you to make such quick changes to the tone and volume um, I, in, in, in a set? So, yeah, I mean, I, my, my chain starts with, um, you know, I'll, uh, the Ernie Ball volume and my, my boss tuner. Um, 
sorry. Uh, yeah, so volume pedal goes right into the Wampler Ego compressor, which okay. uh, that I think is a big part of that is going from, you know, finger picked clean stuff to, I don't know what that sound is. <laughs> something's, something's frying. Um, I, uh, yeah, so that, that was a big part of like kind of making that happen and, and dealing with that um, big volume dip between parts and stuff. And uh, mm -hmm. so, but now I have um, kind of a new gain staging. I have um, the, the Wampler runs into um, the Archer, the J Rocket Archer, it's like the Klon style pedal. Um, and that always stays on because it's, it's, it's set pretty low. Um, but okay. always to kind of, that was one of those things that was like, okay, um, I can't go all the way clean because it'll just too much of a volume suck. So that just is pushing the amp a little bit. Um, and I also really loved the way it colored the Friedman BEOD. Uh, it just added this kind of, here's a word for you, a slippery top end. It's like it got rid of some of the boxiness and made it a little bit more wild. Um, and interesting to me, uh, but, uh, the, I was using the regular BEOD for a long time, but now I have the BEOD deluxe, which is like, a hasn't seen a, a show yet, but I'm really excited for that. Uh, because in the past I would have another distortion. I'd have that Fuzzrocious Demon or, um, I have a Nunez, uh, dual range boost I was using to kind of bridge that gap. But now the BEOD deluxe has two channels. Um, mm. and they added a mid knob, which I was like really excited. As soon as I saw the deluxe, I was like, okay, I have to buy that. Cause that was the one thing about the regular BEOD. I always wondered is like, why would you have a bass in a treble? Why wouldn't you want a mid knob in there too? And just that little bit of extra control freakness, you know, like just to kind of like, <laughs> just to get things as perfect as you can get them. Um, so yeah, here, you, I'll play a little bit. Um, yeah, as I say, walk us through the different stages of like, uh, distortion and volume it got. Sure. Uh, yeah. So I just wanted to show you real quick on the power station. If I, if I, it has a uh, low like bedroom mode. So this is like my high watt at like combo, like tiny combo amp volume, which I just think is really cool. But um, so here's nothing. That's just straight into the high watt. Well, with the with the power station, but I have some okay. compression. So that's pretty clean and it sounds awesome, but you, you know, usually with um, going from the super loud, aggressive sound to that can be a little bit um, too much, like too much of a disparity there. Uh, so I always have the Archer on. So slightly dirty. I mean, to me, that's slightly dirty. I also, yeah, I'll use the uh, the volume pedal, the VP Junior. If like it feels a little too hot for a part, I just I'll just bring it back a little bit. So I like the volume pedal is a big part of sort of fine-tuning the gain stages. Um, so anyway, that's just the Archer and the, comp the compressor. And then here's the first channel, uh, the lower gain channel on the uh, Friedman. Oops. And then the hotter channel. Um, and I have that all running into a looper. I have a three-channel looper that was built by my friend Joe Sanders. Uh, it's a mammoth electronics like analog looper. So the first loop is all the gain stuff. Now, would you say that last bit we heard was like the most extreme of your like distortion gain volume? 
Yeah. Uh, as far as uh, until you get to like octaves and phasers and all the really brutal, like harsh kind of uh, stuff when you're standing right in front of the amp. I mean, that's yeah, that's the hottest sound. Is now you mentioned some weird and like uh, octave stuff. Is that what's going on with Queen Wolf? Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's kind of all over. Uh, yeah, we did like a higher octave uh, to get more of a chimey. Uh, yeah, it sounds like a steel drum. Yeah, it sounds like a steel drum. That's yeah, that was kind of accidental, but um, yeah. So we we've always messed around with that. I mean, like I've had always had like whammy pedals since I was you know fifteen, sixteen. You know, like mm -hmm. loving all the metal bands of the nineties and early two thousands. Like, of course, you had a whammy pedal, and uh, eventually I would just use the octave harmony setting, which I, which was cool because you could use the cradle to jump the octaves. But for the most part, I just started to love that sound. But um, in the studio, we'll experiment with high octave stuff. But live, I generally just use the Electroharmonics Pitchfork for my low low octave harmony stuff, which is on this second okay. loop. All my modulation stuff is on the second loop of the three lace looper. So here's just clean. Uh, that's just the clean octave. Um, we actually did like a little shootout with different octave pedals. and I. The pitchfork just is my it just tracks the best and the separation of the two notes I feel like is um, exactly what I'm looking for. It can do other things like the latch mode where it's like momentary and stuff, but I don't use it for that. I just use it for chunk, you know, the chunk note. Uh, for the if I ever want to do the whammy thing, I now have like the whammy ricochet, which kind of it's like is in one part of the set. If I do something like. Um, It's pretty much there just so I can do that sometimes. Just for fun. Just for fun. Just to like get that ear piercing like high note, you know. Again, like Dimebag Daryl kind of influence there. Um, Offered Blood, I use that. Um, Igneous, I use that. And then just to, just to, just to mess with people sometimes. Um, also on that loop is the Phase 90, which is like, to me, that's like um, the stoner rock doom influence. And of course, like Van Halen and whatever. But um, I like being able to turn those two on and then hit this Whoop. if you've seen us then you've heard that sound a bunch i mean we had talked off camera before we started filming that you mentioned you saw this uh sleep rig rundown it's matt pike and he uses the phaser to extreme effect like that too yeah i think he was really the influence um uh I think I saw Sleep in Terminal 5 many years ago, and uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the octave and phaser is a big part of that, but I also, I bought the Spatial Delivery, the uh, Earthquaker devices, you know that pedal? Um, because mm -hmm. I think I saw Sleep, and he just came out and just... <laughs> And I was just like, what the hell is that pedal that he's using? Because, you know, the beginning of the sleep show is just for 20 minutes. Yeah. And, and I was just like, this is the best thing ever. I could listen to you play that chord for three hours. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so I, that's my newest, like, fun kind of thing. I, I, that hasn't seen a show yet either. But, uh, you know, intros and outros to songs and stuff like that. Just to um, we try to, like, have as little dead time as possible. We leave it, like, a little, a couple moments for John to, to talk to the audience, but in general, we want to keep the show, like, moving, so I have a couple tricks on the board to just bridge gaps. I have one delay that's just there for long, just endless delay, and I have the, 
super ego. I guess we'll move on to that chain if you want. Yeah. Uh, so the yeah, absolutely. So the second loop, yeah, was the octaves and phaser, and now the third loop is all my delay stuff. Uh, so the the basic delay sound for Moontooth has always been the carbon copy and holy grail together. Um, you know, MXR carbon copy analog delay, of course, is like a standard. It's a beautiful sounding delay pedal, and then the holy grail. Um, it's all it's all set pretty low. Um, I've only ever used the spring setting on the holy grail, and the the switch actually like broke off so I need, I need a new one but like that's just it's perfectly set to where it needs to be uh so here's just uh the carbon copy and the holy grail Which is kind of the lead sound too. If I'm doing a solo, that's probably what I would use. Um, it's pretty. It's on. <laughs> it's not super crazy <laughs> aggressive, but it's working. Uh, the newest uh, delay I have is the Empress Echo System. Um, I met some of those guys at Nam, and uh, yeah, I'm still I'm still getting kind of comfortable with it it's it's really amazing like how many presets you can have and how many different delays of count one two three four five six like 15 different types of delay and it's my first um first delay pedal like that you know i've always had things that were pretty simple you know i, I, I do like simple but I'm, I'm enjoying like getting to make presets and we use this a lot in the studio i have it set for the tape setting right now this is without the holy grail and the carbon copy <laughs> For a little while, I was using the. Let me see. This is a delay and reverb together that's just on the Empress. That more or less does the job of uh, what the Carbon Copy and Holy Grail were doing. Um, so I've done tours without those and just using this. Um, yeah, so. Um, I'm still figuring out exactly how I want these things to all to work together and depending on this, the, the set and everything, but all this is everything on. This would be like the most delay for like what I practically use in a show. So nothing like too too extreme right now. But if I want to, like if I if we're like if I need time to tune between songs or something, I'll hit. I have this uh, Digitech digital delay, which I've literally that's one of the first pedals I've ever bought. So I've, so I've had it since I was like 15, and uh -huh. I just never had a problem with it. I'm probably probably now it'll break, but um, <laughs> I just have it at the end of the chain. So whatever I do at the end of a set. And I could just either 
switch guitars. I, I hit the uh, volume pedal, I'll switch guitars, or I'll get the next one in tune, and that thing can just make noise. And if I feel like it's starting to run out, I'll just like make some more noise, <laughs> and that'll that'll get me get me ready for the next song. You know, I, again, kind of trying to not um, have any dead space in the set. Uh, another thing that's really fun for that, uh, and I think I've talked about pretty much everything else on the board so far, but um, is the super electro harmonics uh, super ego the synth engine. Um, we kind of in the studio and now live only use this for like this cool freeze and then morph kind of glissando function that it does. Um, but it does a lot of cool things, but it, this is basically how we use it. I'll hit a chord. I can just hit that the long delay so that I can do whatever I got to do before we start the next song. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's what the live board is looking like right now. But, uh, once we, once we start really hitting a set and get back on the road, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll probably manipulate it a little bit more, but this is kind of where I was at. I was, I was telling you off camera, like we just finished guitars. So this is like, was kind of the, best time for this to happen because all my stuff yeah. was all over the place you know i was only picking off a pedal every time we need to use one uh i also have like a, a univive mxr which is another fun thing i'll switch out for like the spatial delivery depending on what set we're doing or what i what just those that's like kind of the fun section of the board anyway so whatever i feel yeah. like throwing in there um but yeah so like this came at the perfect time to get ready to you know start hitting the new songs and get a set ready for hopefully summer or fall uh, depending now, on... would you say a lot of these pedals got used on, on your tracks on the new record that'll be out, hopefully this year and maybe early next year? Yeah, uh, the Archer uh, Klon got used on like every solo, uh, mostly through the JCM 800. I just get the perfect kind of like classic rock lead sound between those two things. Actually, the Archer I bought for Riot because like Riot's the total opposite of Moontooth. Riot is I bring a tuner and a tube screamer, you know? Uh, <laughs> And a Les Paul and standard, you know, now my Vigiers, but like that was it. We would rent, you you know, it's mostly European dates and fly dates and stuff. So we'd rent JCM 800s or whatever Marshall we could get. And then Tube Screamer in front of it. Sometimes I'd bring a delay or a reverb for a solo or something, but not always, you know, I just, and anyway, like, um, I was trying to update my Tube Screamer. I was like trying different ones and I just went to Guitar Center and just punished the dude <laughs> for like an hour and a half just to like let me try this one let me try that one and eventually he just gave me a bunch of them and I just put them all in a chain and AB them and the Archer just was so cool sounding you know and not high gain just like really just it's so tight um and just like sounds great on leads and everything too but um yeah so generally the Archer would run into my Friedman into the high watt Oop, that's the high watt <laughs> and uh we would, uh, for the Marshall, it would either be, if we were doing a lead, we'd use the Archer, or uh, for rhythm stuff, we'd often use a Maxon uh, Overdrive in front of that, which just sounds just super tight. Um, also at Westfall here, they have uh, a diesel VH4, VT4, VH4, um, which we used in conjunction with the High Watt. And then that was oh, like, wow. oh, you brought up the 5150 earlier. So I never owned one, but basically either at the studio, like there was one that was here. And then on the last record, we would use that 
or we also rented a Soldano for a little while, SLO 100, and we'd blend that with the high watt. And that those amps would kind of serve as the tight bite um, top end, and the high watt would be sort of the girth of the sound. And that was, in a nutshell, what we were trying to do. Uh, and now for this record, that became either the Diesel or a Marshall. But we also played around with a Mesa. Ray also has a, uh, we had a Mesa Mark V that we were playing around with for a couple of days. And then we had, uh, Ray has like a Marshall Plexi style amp that he custom built with his mm -hmm. father, like a Seria tone. I think they, you know, like they sell like a kit and that thing sounds crazy. Mm -hmm. um, also, I have a Fender Vibrochamp um, from the 60s that I kind of just inherited by accident. And that um, gets used on a lot of the clean stuff. It's like uh, one of the nicest sounding like amps I've ever heard. It's, you know, as far as clean, as far as that classic Fender sound, when we're looking for that, um, we'll bust out the Vibro Champ and uh, little little tiny amp. Uh, funny story with that, real quick, is uh, um, my mom was working at a church in the rectory, and uh, they were doing like kind of donate your junk, and she became friends with this older man and. She mentioned that uh, her son was a musician, and he said, "Oh, your son's a musician. I got speakers. I got speakers for you." And she, uh -huh. and she just came home with this beautiful '60s vibro champ. I mean, it was like a little beat up, but yeah. Uh, um, I was like, "How the hell did you get this?" You know. And she was like, "This man said she wanted you to have it." I was like, "Okay, cool." And I've had I've had it ever since. I recently just replaced the power cable and, and the the switch because it was electrocuting the shit out of me, and I just kind of got sick of that. <laughs> I was like, I never wanted to change anything on it, but then it just became down to practicality. Like, all right, I don't want to be electrocuted anymore. Um, yeah, you don't want to die. Yeah, and so Jack Kavalowitz, who does all my service, he 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 retubed and capped it. But I have all the original pieces if I ever want it. But it still sounds just amazing. It's like just the most beautiful clean and the the trem on it, you know, the vib vibrato or whatever. That's just great sounding, you know. So those get the most use in the studio between the high watt. Uh, and then some other B amp, you know, that we switch out a lot. Uh, and then for cleans, the Vibro Champ or sometimes uh, the Plexi, actually. And the High Watt sounds great for cleans, too. So um, we are very meticulous with guitar tones and sounds. We spend a lot of time. We were a little more streamlined this time as far as, like, we're doing all the rhythm tracks. And then once all that's done, you can start doing solos. And once that's done, you can start doing overdubs. Because on the last record, it was fun to kind of really get into a song and set up a tone and then get into overdubs and stuff. But you'd, you'd end up sinking a lot of time into the setup of it and, and tweaking and going, what about this guitar? What about that guitar and, and stuff? So this time we tried to be a little bit more like, you know, heavy stuff, clean stuff, leads, solos, you know, I mean, uh, uh, overdubs. Gotcha. Well, man, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. And like you said, it sounds like we, we, we struck right at the right moment having you set up and doing all the studio stuff. So I appreciate you, Nick hanging out in the studio and uh, talking to us about gear. If people want to check out and keep up to date with maybe some shows happening or eventually a new record, where should they go online and check you guys out? Uh, Moontooth.org, Moontooth's on Facebook, Moontooth's Instagram, all that stuff. You, it's Perfect. You know, we're easy to find. I mean, you know, um, Moontooth.merchnow.com is the best place to pick up, like, some music if, you, if you're into that kind of thing. But, you know, Spotify, Apple Music, it's all good. Uh, as far as like gigs coming up, I would just, you know, just stay up to date with the social media stuff. Um, hopefully we'll have some out new album news soon too. And, uh, and thank you, Chris. Thank you for, thank you, Premier Guitar. This is like an honor. I watch these all the time. So I'm really grateful to be featured. Awesome, Nick. Thank you so much. Everyone out there, stay safe. Keep rocking. <laughs>